Counselors, approach the bench. I have no further witnesses, Your Honor. Curiosity, I'm allowing this freak show to continue. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. Overruled. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Hey, welcome to Movie Mistrial. The podcast where we examine the IMDb Top 250 and argue for or against the movies being on that list. My name is Johannes. And I am Raji. Today, we're talking about another film on that list. The Spaghetti Western by Sergio Leone. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was released on December 23rd, 1966, starring Clint Eastwood, Will Wallach, and Lee Van Cleef with an IMDb rating of 8.8 out of 10. Before we go uh, to the European Wild West, however, how have you been? I've been pretty well. Just, you know, hanging out, watching movies, good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, watching series, too. We uh, discovered Enlightened by Mike White. Enlightened? Great... Is that the one by uh, the guy who is currently doing the, the show about the hotel? Yes. I yes. think I saw that movie on that show on HBO starring yeah. the blonde woman who was uh, Laura Dern. Laura, Laura Dern. Dern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a uh, that was a uh, an interesting. It got weird very quickly. <laughs> it got weird very quickly. I remember it. I don't know. I don't remember why they didn't renew it, but I was enjoying the show towards the end. Anyway, yeah. I'm not going to put spoilers. Right. Right. How how have you been? I've been pretty good. Uh my wife just had a baby. Um, a few weeks ago, and the baby is now two weeks old. So I've basically been uh, being on baby daddy duty, uh, and it's been both exhilarating, frustrating, exciting, and demanding at the same time. Uh, babies don't speak English, so it doesn't help. Yet. But you know, like we like we were just talking about, they have building blocks for many languages, and I'm hoping they they stick to one soon, so we can start <laughs> communicating. <laughs> But I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the process of being a father. Very good. Very glad to hear that. Um, there's also the concept of people teach uh, their kids sign language. I just remembered, which is interesting. But can, anyway, can babies understand? I mean, my baby is just kicking and punching and crying, and uh, I don't think she would she would even understand. I don't know how some people are patient. Is what I get, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> is what well, I'm trying to. <laughs> Right, right. Well, I, well, I think with two weeks, um, like it, it takes a little bit of time. <laughs> Have patience, man. Have patience. I'm, 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 wor I'm working on it. That I'm definitely working on that. Very good, very good. Cool. Um, should we move over to the coin toss? I think so. I think I'm ready uh, for this discussion. <laughs> uh oh. All right, Roger, what's it going to be? Heads or tails? I'll go with heads. I always go with heads. I always go with heads. The odds are technically in your favor. Uh, I, I, On this website. <laughs> yes! Heads. heads! He got one! <laughs> Finally. Man, last week I, I was hoping it was going to be heads, but I, I was like, I can't change it today. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to be arguing for this film. And I know that there are many things you can say against this film, but I think that uh, this movie is, uh, I'm arguing for this film. All right. So I'm going to go against this film. But before we do that, 
Let's hear a little synopsis. Sure In the can. Southwest, during the Civil War, a mysterious stranger, Joe, Clint Eastwood, and the Mexican outlaw, Tuco, Eli Wallach, form an uneasy partnership. Joe turns in, the bandit for the reward money, then rescues him just as he's being hanged. When Joe's shot at the news goes Ari doing one escape, a furious Tuco tries to have him murdered. The men reteam abruptly, however, to beat out a sadistic criminal in the Union Army and find $20,000 that the soldier has buried in the desert. And the witness will address this court as judge or your honor. Your honor. The good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, is a, it's essentially a movie uh, that tells us a bizarre fantasy and romantic vision of the Wild West uh, from a European point of view. And everything is kind of twisted in, in, in with, with that point of view and not based in realism, which is, I think, a flaw of this movie. Um, the technicalities of this film, very drawn out establishing shots, uh, very long, lingering shots in general. The subplot of um, the war, the civil war that we see here, is taking a lot of time and not a lot of uh, point. It's just a big distraction from the main story at hand. And uh, all in all, I think yeah, it's just kind of a bizarre, um, twisted fantasy of uh, what Europeans think of when they hear the keywords, the Wild West, and uh, kind of the romantic vision of, of that ideal um, that exists. And I think it's, it's deeply flawed. Um, so, so my, oh, that's your argument. Um, that's my so, argument. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that um, this movie is an incredible work of directorial expertise. Uh, this was Sergio's Leon's third film. Um, uh, and you wouldn't know from the way this movie was uh, written and directed. Um, I mean, you could tell, uh, based on the dub, this movie had no official language, for example. Um, it used uh, actors from America, um, Spain, and Italy to make this movie. And it was filmed in Spain, um, as you could tell from the very beginning. I mean, it's not very it's not very obvious, but very subtle. When he looked at the water, uh, the water well outside the building where uh, the mother was uh, pulling the water as uh, Lee Van Cleef's character made it through the scene, you could tell that it wasn't a particularly American uh, structure. Um, so even I was watching the movie with my wife, and she immediately said, "Wow, this! I don't think this was filmed in America." And uh, have she grew up watching American westerns almost? She could tell almost immediately. And I had to read about how all the characters in this film were speaking different languages uh, while they were reading their scene. So when Lee Van Cleef's character comes into the room, um, she was speaking to a, an Italian woman who was responding to him in Italian as he spoke English to her, and that was dubbed into English later. Um, it was quite fascinating the amount of expertise that it took to make this movie successful. And the story was coherent. I think that, you know, um, one of the things that uh, was mentioned uh, was that it was, it told, it told a very weird uh, story from a European perspective of America's independence. But I think that every single point in the film where America's independence story 
interacted with the characters, there was a period before and a period after. For example, um, when one of the most egregious scenes uh, that I could think of about, you know, the American uh, interaction was when they got to the bridge. And uh, when they got to the bridge and the the captain was saying like, hey, we need to blow up this bridge. Um, it took a, he gave a very long on, you know, very long speech to basically tell him that, hey, tell the guys that, hey, this is illegal to do. We can't do it. If we did it, we're caught martialed. But you guys can, you guys can blow up the bridge. And even as he sh- it was shot and he was laying on his deathbed, he said, give me something because I'm expecting some good news. And once he heard the good news, that is the bridge blowing up, he passed on. But I think that that whole scene was set up so he could give the characters an excuse to tell them what they needed to hear under the bridge. And I think that that kind of masterpiece storytelling that basically left even the most egregious scene where some characters uh, pontificated for minutes uh, it still drove the story forward um, and uh, made the ending as exciting as ever. So this movie is a masterpiece, in my opinion, and I am ready to argue to death about this one. <laughs> it's it's going to be a two-way Mexican standoff today. <laughs> uh, so, so a couple points. Uh, you said... Uh, uh, there was no official language, and I feel like that really shows, and I felt it super distracting because it's like wh- while it is on a production side, it's it's kind of an impressive feat to create a movie with uh, with a cast that is not speaking one universal language. Um, I think as a viewer, it's just it's very distracting because some like some people you hear the original dialogue, it seems like some people you don't, and it's just kind of um, this bizarre amalgamation of, of of dialogue I, I think the performances are serviceable here and there uh i mean to to backtrack a little bit i think so th- there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie to begin with uh, i think we start this movie with probably a good 10 15 minutes without talking it's all just stare downs and creating tension and uh, i understand that's that's uh, framing up the character portrayed by Lee Van Cleef uh, to be this headhunter person, this henchman, and uh, like he gets what he wants. Uh, as, soon, as soon as I'm paid, I, I get what I want, or I, I always follow through. But it's it's just droning, and it takes forever. And it's I, you said it's, it's directed very clearly, and uh, the story is very straightforward. I had a hard time kind of figuring out what, what was going on and who who was doing what, especially in the very beginning when that robbery takes place and the ugly is jumping out of the, out of the window with some food. It was like, okay. Uh, so how, how okay. <laughs> that was just like, okay, so this is the ugly, I guess. And then later he looks kind of different. So it took a while to kind of figure out, Oh, that's the same person. Got it now. Um, so I feel like it's, it's not very clear because there's not a lot of dialogue to kind of make like establish something here and there uh, and then the little dialogue that there is is sparse well yeah it, it is sparse dialogue but it's it's not giving me a lot so i i just it, it just felt like a long movie to me 
and it is a long movie, but it 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 wasn't um, alleviated by kind of compelling storytelling to me. So I think you 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 make an interesting point about the um, the lack of talking. I think one of the uh, issues that Sergio Leone had uh, with American westerns or Hollywood westerns was that they talk too much. Um, and uh, one of the things that he was trying to um, uh, to change, and I think it's one of the reasons why the movie was snubbed initially when it was released, uh, was to say, hey, we don't want this clean uh, protagonist who's always neatly dressed, who, pro- um, who prophesies good. We want ambiguous characters. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All three characters were technically not good, not bad, and not ugly. Um, they were all bad people, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but I think what differentiated the characters were, in some situations, um, the character, be- um, the no-name character played by Clint Eastwood showed that he would sacrifice time to do good where the other two would never do that. So he was considered the good because in human nature, I think one of the goals was to show that human nature is ugly no matter what. Even the good character is is rotten. Uh, but at least the good character would stop to give a dying man a smoke and cover him while he shivered to death. So I think some of those things were portrayed in the the facial expressions, the actions of the characters, um, as they um, as they um, as they proceeded through the movie, uh, one of the famous lines uh, in the movie, uh, and I have to say, the character of Tuco stole this film. Um, he was incredible from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, was when he was in the bathtub. And uh, one of the characters who he shot at the very beginning, who apparently survived, sees him go into the building and comes in to the front door. And he was like, uh, for months I've been practicing with my uh, left arm. You took my right arm out. And for months I've been practicing with my left arm. And blah, blah, blah. I'm going to shoot you today. And Tuco brings out the gun from the bathtub. He didn't bring it out. He shot him from the bathtub, shot him several times, stands up points the gun at him and shoots him and he says, if you want to kill, kill, don't talk, which is basically the point uh, of the film. They don't want to be an American film. They want to, they just want to um, show the, the audience what they're doing, how they're feeling at every single moment, instead of just um, moving the character with just long, long dialogues. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, you mentioned uh, that person Tuku shot at that person in the very beginning. That, I believe that so. happens. Okay, because I think that, it was one of they the went completely ca- over my head. I just saw this like this random person because Tuku is just kind of doing Tuku things. You know, the funny thing about it is, uh, I was watching the very. Be- I, I remember the character from the very beginning because there were three characters who were approaching the building where Tuku yeah. was eating. Um, two of them had scars, and one of them was very clean faced. And I was looking to my wife, and I was like, "Hey, what's up with the guy who is very clean?" Um, but apparently he died. But one of the characters had the scar on his cheek. One of those characters, the older character, was one of the guys, the guy, who, the only guy who survived that and who met him in the bathtub uh, and tried to kill him. 
wow. So, it's, it's, yeah, so completely unclear, I think. Uh, but but anyway, the I think you were touching upon something that there's some interesting things here, right? So you have two opposing, uh, three opposing characters framed as the good, the bad, the ugly. I think they're all very alike, uh, as in they're all opportunistic grifters. Uh, they're all in it for the quick money. They're all greedy, and they're all showing some good sides if it benefits them, because everything is there like for their own benefit. And I think Tuco is the best example of that, where he he draws the blondie character out into the desert up until they meet uh, that horse carriage. And then all of a sudden the story flips because he knows he has information that benefits uh, Tuco. And uh, I think this movie is, is like centered around that. Three opposing characters all going towards the same goal with their own little flavor into it but it's i think it's while the the tension that is built up between the three is interesting i think the movie as a whole is kind of uninteresting because it's it we see the, the three same people trying to go towards the 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 same goal and i feel like it's it's already pretty established who's gonna uh turn out at, with the win at the end just by knowing who's in the cast and, and knowing that the only person uh, that's in the cast that's uh, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> it's, it's like that person's probably going to win. I mean, it's interesting to think of it like that. Uh, but I, I kind of disagree with that too. Because when you think about it, um, so yes. So I would say that it was established earlier in the movie that all three characters know each other. So they knew each other long before the movie started. So um, if you remember, there's a scene um, where around the time where they were still doing the con, where Tuco would be hanged in every city and the guy would ask, what is your price right now? In one of the scenes, Angel Eyes, who was played by Lee Van Cleef, was coming out of a building and uh, he was talking to a woman who's like... Um, she said something like, um, yo, why would they, uh, why would they need to hang him? Uh, because, you know, somebody who has done so, so many bad things like that needs to be hung. And he says, hey, he has a blonde angel of death who's watching over him. And he gets into his car and he drives away. So these characters, they have a long, they've, they've known each other for some time. Um, and they do different cons. So I think that was established. And I think that when um, when the character of Angel Eye saw uh, Tuco dressed as, uh, what's the name of the character they were looking for? Um, I've forgotten his name. Um, the one he saw in the carriage. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll remember the name and I'll point it out later. Uh, he saw him immediately and he knew exactly who he was. So when he invited him to his uh office to have a discussion and gave him food he was like he knew he called him by his real name tuko why are you why are you acting like uh the character that i've been looking for all this time so these characters they know each other there's a tension that exists already between all the characters um and uh the two main characters don't like each other either uh but they have to work together for necessity um and i think that the interactions between them and how they interact with the world 
giving their perspective on what the world should be and how the world should work is what makes this movie extremely interesting. Um, and it also makes this movie quite fun to watch because these characters are all despicable, every single one of them. And they're playing in a world that is not fair or fun. They're playing in the middle of a civil war where almost everything goes. Um, we saw guys killing women and children. Um, you know, the fascinating thing about this, I mean, the good, the bad, and ugly. And I think uh, it's very weird because immediately I saw the ugly stuff. I was like, why are they calling him ugly? Is this some racist thing that they're trying to do? Uh, it didn't make any sense because the character who plays good killed more people than the character who was ugly or bad. If you wanted to look at it, the character who played bad was more uh, was more forgiven than the character who played good because Lee Van Cleef's character only killed three people throughout the film. Um, the character who played good killed 11 and Tuco killed about eight or nine characters. So it's like, how do you judge who is good, bad, and who is ugly really in this film? It's all weird and I don't understand how they did this metric. Uh, but I think that when I watched Clint Eastwood's face deform as he was pulled in the desert. I didn't, I didn't, I thought the movie could go anywhere. Granted, I'd seen it a million times and the standoff at the end was, <laughs> it was quite interesting. Um, I think I can't remember the, my impression the first time I watched it. Um, if I could, it would be interesting, but having seen it so many times, it's a bit unfair for me to say that, you know, maybe Clint Eastwood didn't look like he was always going to win. Um, but I think that, I still enjoyed it irrespective. Yeah, I think the the thing that clued me in on that was the title, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and Clint Eastwood being the good. Right? You Traditionally, you don't let the bad win. And uh, I think Tuco, while being kind of the uh, comic relief in this movie, uh, I think he's also arguably the, the one character that has the most stacked against him. And has has even a higher unlikelihood of of making it out. Um, and I mean, it turns out he 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 made it out decently, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, to me, it's just a movie about greed and uh, who can out greed uh, another person the best. And uh, yeah, it's three characters that know each other, don't like each other but have to work together because each each of them has a different piece of information. So there's there's some interest there, but like I said, you, you can tell the story in, let's say, two hours, and it would still be a compelling story. It's just it, there's a lot of distractions. I think the the war thing that you brought up um, is, is utterly pointless, and I could see an argument where it's like, well, that's the point, right? The war is pointless, and we see that here. But it's just a long distraction, and it's it's just a long um, side quest. I think we, we talked about that before in, in different movies, where uh, essentially, like we, this this is like a world um, World of Warcraft campaign, right? And and <laughs> and just. They, they just meander into different side quests that are kind of not bringing the main quest forward, and uh, I find that frustrating. 
I I I'll agree with you on that criticism. You know what the criticism the criticism that I would if you made it, I would totally be um I, I would be in total compliance, uh in agreement with you was the conversation he had with his brother in the church. That was pointless. Yeah. Um and and I think they just added that just uh <laughs> it didn't it didn't grow the character in any way. It didn't move the story forward. Um but I would argue that the interactions with the American forces did several things. It provided comic uh, comic relief, and it also moved the story forward. Uh, because, for example, um, when they headed out and they looked to the uh, looked far into the distance and they saw the the the, the army coming in, uh, and he, he was so sure that those were Confederate soldiers, and he. Um, he waved at them and said, hey, what's the name of the general? General Lee? Yeah, General Lee. Hop with General Lee. And he was giving all sorts of good praise. And they arrived and they dusted themselves off. And it was like the the Yankees and they were in chains a minute later. That drove the story forward because if they didn't get captured, they wouldn't have met off with Angel Eyes, who was in the army and who would have uh, who was also interested. It wouldn't have given us the torture scene that was masterfully directed. Um, <laughs> I, there was no, it's not a great torture scene, but I, I like the way they shaped it up and the, the reactions of the characters who were playing the violin to hide the sound of people of the pain and suffering within the room. How the guy had tears in his eyes and he was like, "Play, play, boy," and whatever, and he was playing the violin with the tears in his eyes. I thought that that was actually masterfully acted, and I think that. Um, it gave us a chance to see w- the limit to which Tuko and uh, goes, and the limit to which uh, the character of Angel Eyes would go. So um, it definitely set up the movie, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, every single time they stopped with the military, there was always a point where they went in and they came out with a bit more, um, and it moved the story forward. Yeah, I guess, but again, I would argue that you can get to the same story beats without having like that distraction in there. Um, and I mean, I, I know like hindsight is twenty two, like that that prison scene and the the torture scene. Um, now in hindsight and having watched the movie, is like gave me very uh, Shinto's vibes, and I was like, oh, this is kind of kind of weird. Um, but again, like you know, humanity is weird, so and and brutal, so. History repeats itself, I suppose, to a degree. Um, but yeah, uh, those are essentially my main points. I th- I think it's it's drawing too long. It's establishing a lot. Uh, you could have cleaned up the story a little bit to to make it like a tight, great movie. And uh, yeah, that's my point. So I I, I and. Uh... I guess we can talk a little bit more uh, when we get to the main story, uh, main discussion. Um, I think my main points are a lot of the stuff that are in there are necessary to drive the story forward. Um, they may not be, um, some of it may be extraneous, but one of the interesting things is that we get great characters, um, uh, great characters who uh, make sure that the scenes are never boring. Um, 
and uh, we have compelling characters that are quite different uh, and characters you know nothing about at the same time. Um, so they're both quite different uh, <laughs> in a way, and uh, but they're so they're also very plain. And I think Tuco is the most developed of those characters, and he's the most uh, he's definitely the most interesting of them. Um, so yes. Uh, I think that the movie is great. Um, it's an exceptional film. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking more about it uh, in the main discussion. Sounds good. Let's move over there. All right. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. There are two kinds of people in the world. The people who like this movie <laughs> and the people who don't. <laughs> um, and I, I, I just, there are just too many quotes from this film that are, that are just I, I found myself laughing quite a lot. I've seen this film four, five, six times now, and every single time I watch it, it just gets better and better. Uh, I think that when I was beginning to uh, watch it, I was like, man, three hours watching this film again. Uh, and once I started to watch the film, I was just stuck in it. I was like, I just got stuck in. I didn't get up. I was just having a blast watching the character of Tuco and the way he uh, interacted with the world. Um, I mean, I, I do agree with you quite a bit on some of the scenes being too long, but I think that I, I, I stand by my argument that a lot of them were to drive the story forward, but there are a couple of extraneous ones that probably could be trimmed away. Um, like the long conversation about the, about blowing up the bridge that, that, you know, that captain, uh, they could have definitely reduced his conversation. Um, but well, I think so, so, so that whole, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, I think that whole scene and that whole sequence is just there to have a scene of let's blow up a bridge in the movie. And mm -hmm. I think that's just flashy, but it's a distraction. But go I, ahead. I think that the, it was, it was, I don't think it was generally to blow up the bridge. I think it was the story was um, to show uh, that at the point where they could both die, they both decided, like, all right, I'm going to tell you my secret and you tell me your secret in case we both die in this war. Uh, and you saw the aftermath, you know, after they got over the bridge and Tuko just there to run. He made a dash for the gold uh, <laughs> because he thought he was going to be buried under the name Anton Scanton or something along those lines. Um, oh, and the name of the character initially was Bill Carson, the one with the patch in his eye. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was always to establish the characters a little bit more, more and more throughout the film uh, to make you feel like, all right, these characters are quite distinct. This is what one character will do and this is what another will do. I'm conflicted about this movie. The, it's the first time I've seen it, and while it is easy to kind of get lost in the uh, romantic vision of the Wild West and kind of the opportunistic quality of uh, America uh, at that time and understanding that this is a very uh, idyllic lens from Europe that we have on this period, um, and idyllic not in a sense of like everything is butterflies and rainbows because it's not obviously this movie is pretty violent um, 
but still it's just this this fantastic uh narration of the wild west and i think it's it's playing a big part in the lore of this country to have stories like these that that built up um the the fantasy of the wild west a lot like i feel like um, it, it even goes back into um like westworld now right where but that was like a whole thing of like, oh, this romantic vision of the Wild West where I can show my true self and, um, you know, the law is not there. I can be lawless. And I I get that and I understand the allure, but I also find it kind of boring, personally. Like, uh, the things I think this movie is, is very good at is building tension the main driver for tension here is music. And I think this movie would be very, very different um, if the movie wasn't as strong. The movie, uh, if the music wasn't as strong. The music is very, very good, very iconic, and uh, imparts very bizarre kind of um, just noise. And it's it's effective that way, um, and then we have like the opening sequence music is is fantastic. Uh, the ecstasy of gold is a fantastic piece of music, you know. So you have all all these things, and and I feel like the music is almost playing the fourth character and the most important character in this because without the music, it would be just a very very dragging slow movie that uh, wouldn't have the effect. So um, I guess my point is. The, the the main beats and the 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 one thing that brings us across the finish line successfully for me is the music. The rest is just kind of droning and, and very long sequences. And very long sequences without dialogue. And it, it's kind of confusing because everybody kind of looks the same. Um, and had it not been for the music, I think uh, I would have had a really bad time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do agree with the fact that the music is uh it's quite uh it's quite fascinating. Uh I, I think that one it's it's def I mean it's it's like it's iconic. Some of the music is being used in uh rap music now. Um a lot of those music have grown uh legs and they they live outside um outside the movie that they were created for. Um it's it's incredible to think about. Um it's also interesting to know that this is the third of a trilogy. So this is a, um, this was the third. I think the first was a fistful of dollars. I, I don't remember what the second one was, but this is the third of it. Um, I didn't like a fistful of dollars because of the history of it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Akira Kurosawa and Yojimbo, um, but Yojimbo was a Japanese film that came out by director by Akira Kurosawa, and Sergio Leone just took that Japanese film and made it an American um, uh, uh, spaghetti Western with Clint Eastwood and included a man with no name. Um, uh, and uh, the interesting thing about um, uh, the man with no name was Yojimbo's character was in, also was a man with no name. So basically the whole idea uh, um was he just took that whole concept of a man with no name 
made it into a fistful of dollars, uh, um, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and it was quite interesting uh, uh, when you think about it. The the good, the bad, and the ugly stood out the most, though, and I think this was the one that made Clint Eastwood the megastar that he currently is um, because it had a little bit more investment and the story scope was very, very big uh, compared to all the other ones. Um, and uh, the music helped. Uh, the score was amazing. Um, the fact that it was so different from all the American films that we watched, in fact... Uh, and the fact that it was very gritty, uh, there was a lot of on-screen violence that probably wouldn't that would probably would have been censored in America, uh, and there was a lot of greediness. Uh, the characters were not clean-shaven; they weren't handsome; they didn't look fresh; they were scuttled; they looked rough; uh, they looked like they would be in the Wild West. Um, all those things contributed to making this movie uh, a more realistic having a more realistic tone and being a little bit more natural to me. And I think that by the end of the film, I, I wouldn't mind watching it again next week, even though we have another film to watch. Uh, but I, 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 I love this film so much. It's, I will say the character of Clint Eastwood was probably the weakest of the three. Well, no, not really. I wouldn't even go that far. He definitely was too cool for school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was always he was he was always smoking. He was always doing his stuff, and I, I guess that was the the way to differentiate him from the other ones. But he seemed like he was above the fray, uh, and he always that's why the fact that he was doing just as many bad things as everybody else, uh, he always seemed like he was too cool for that. So I would I, if if you brought out that argument, I would I would reluctantly agree. Um, we didn't see enough of Angel Eyes to get a fair assessment of him. We only see him, see him in some brief scenes. We know that he's doing some uh, corrupt shit, uh, corrupt stuff with the uh, American military, and he, the, the general was investigating that. But we didn't get to see the conclusion of that story. Um, but I guess given the fact that we saw what he did at the very beginning and how he killed the man who paid him uh, $500 because the other person paid him $1,000, uh, you can you can kind of get that he's doing some some ridiculous stuff, um, but man, I I love the character of Tuco so much, and I can't stop thinking about some of the things he says. Said, uh, you know, when he was talking to the the guy, and he says like just like the way you fall, um, <laughs> and he, he said so many weird, funny things from the very beginning to the very end, and he carried this movie so much. Um, I, I loved it. I, 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 I really, I think that of all the films that, um, we've watched so far, this one has taken itself serious the least, the least. Yeah. And, uh, it's definitely been the most fun to watch. Yeah. So I think there's one scene that's kind of an interesting example of both of our points. I think. Uh, sure. It's it's Tuco being in the gun shop. Mm. Uh, it's just, it's it's the sequence that takes forever. Yes, um, I I read it's it's been it, like it was completely improv, and okay, that's interesting to know. Uh, and now after the fact, but 
uh, after the whole sequence, like, I, I, so the point of it is to show us, okay, this dude knows his guns. This dude knows what he wants, and he he knows, it, like, what, you know, he, he wants to get the best performing gun. Yeah. Right. Now, the the beef I have with this is this guy is walking into a gun shop and has the owner essentially pay him for the privilege of uh, stealing <laughs> a gun from him. And I'm after the scene, I was like, what kind of lousy gun shop owner are you if you cannot defend your gun shop? Like that this this like this is like gun shop one on one. Don't let anybody steal your guns. You have plenty of guns to defend yourself. I I totally agree with you on that. It was it was weird to watch it, uh, <laughs> but I I think that a lot of people also have problems with that scene because he obviously didn't know anything about guns and he was putting some uh, a Remington. Uh, head on this they were all it was a miscombobulated gun that can never exist in real life i don't know i don't know gun parts myself so i can't really speak to it but i know that the way he assembled the gun he was using different parts of different guns and assembling it into a gun that became a frankenstein that would never work in real life oh see so so i read that completely different so i read that as Yes, he's taking different components, but uh, to create a gun that works the best—that's mm, that, no. how I understood it. You know, he's, he wasn't—he wasn't, he wasn't ple- uh, pleased with the barrel of the of the stock yeah. gun, so he he took different parts um, and created a a gun that that performed better and to his like audible like audible spec. So I. I read it as okay. Dude knows what he wants. Dude gets what he <laughs> wants. Dude goes to great lengths to to Frankenstein a gun that performs better than a stock. Which is which is interesting. Uh, but the the ironic the ironic part of it was I was listening. I was I was uh, I was uh, watching this with my my wife's dad, and he mentioned that that gun would never work in real life. Uh, because you're putting parts of guns that don't actually technically fit together okay. uh, and there are going to be holes there and it's going to misfire or something. I don't know much about guns. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I definitely know that uh, the way that was set up, uh, those were not real. That was not a real setup. And I think the fact that he went outside and he still shot those gun, shot the gun and everything just hit the target. Yeah, that is... Uh, uh that is uh <laughs> not proper but uh okay i mean and so but that also goes back into this fantasy right that i yeah. that i mentioned right so it's, it's is, like this idyllic fantasy of gunslingers and the wild west true true i think you did mention the fantasy part I, 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 fantasy um but what is uh what is movies if it's not uh taking us out of our disgusting reality and <laughs> throwing us into a fantasy well, actually, this is a disgusting fantasy, too, because I wouldn't yeah. want to be there. Right, right. Um, interesting that you picked up on on it not being filmed in the U.S. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I felt like it was convincing enough, location-wise. It's it's convincing enough if you've if you've like gone through Nevada and and, and like the nothingness that's there. Um. And and a lot of that kind of looks like that. I think the architecture that you mentioned 
the Spanish style. I feel like they mentioned Albuquerque or Santa Fe at some point in the movie, I believe. Maybe it was taken. But um, so it's, it's kind of in that um, New Mexico kind of thing. So I felt like it was convincing enough again with the kind of Spanish style architecture in a way. So I, I felt like it, it was convincing enough to like I knew it was not filmed in the States, but um, it did a decent enough job to tell me that the thing that distracted me more was the overdubs. Yeah, um, honestly, yeah. like that, that's just very distracting. And I watch a lot of movies with overdubs, but like here was just very jarring. I, you know, the irony is that I've seen this film a few times and I never noticed the dubs until I watched it yesterday. And I was wondering if it was my, what it, what, what, it, what it was the copy of the disc that I was watching it on that was the issue or what the, what, you know, what was going on. Um, and uh, I was watching, I think this was probably the highest quality I'd ever watched it in. Uh, because I don't, I usually watch it in like um, Blu-rays, but now I got the HDR and I was watching it there, trying to you know, and I was seeing all the the blemishes. I was seeing the dubs and I, could, I was seeing all of that, and I was like, man, what am I? What did I? What did I do wrong on this? Uh, trying to figure out what the issue was, and that was when I read that that all the characters were speaking different languages, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, I now this now I I can't help but see. Italian skinned people, you know, they're a little bit darker than the Clint Eastwood character because, you know, they've been in this. I, I don't know. Let me yeah. not say something stupid. Um, but some of them obviously were not speaking English and some of them were obviously speaking English. And it, reading about the film, it made a lot of sense to me why that was the case. But it's something that I'd never known about. Um, but it was interesting. I, 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 and I, I, I thought the movie was filmed in America. If you had asked me before yesterday, was this film filmed in America? I'd be like, yeah, of course it was filmed in America. But it was my wife who just said, that well is not something <laughs> you would see. Because my wife grew up on a farm. She knows, about, and she spent her childhood watching a lot of uh, Western films. And she could tell immediately, apparently, that this was not filmed in America. And I was like, wait, it wasn't filmed in America? And I started to do the research. And I was like, oh. I was filmed in Spain, but you make a good point. You know, if you go into New Mexico, you still see the same kind of architecture and you could always have that. Um, you could always, you would be guilt. You would be fine if you made a mistake to think that that was, that was still filmed in America. Yeah. Right? It's, it's convincing enough, right? Yes. Absolutely. Like um, absolutely. And, and, and uh, to add on that, I think the, like the movie is 60 years old almost. Right. Um, it still looks great. Like I watched the the Ultra HD remaster, I suppose, but it looks great. Like, I agree with you. Um, because everything's real. The one <laughs> the one thing, the one thing that is, I mean, the violence. I'm sure for the time was really really gru gruesome. Like now you can tell. Okay, this is all very not real. Um, one thing that I feel like they overuse a lot is the shooting hands of somebody's head. Mm -hmm. it's like because they do that a lot <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's a show of skill i guess but it's it's like oh somebody really liked this effect we, we gonna <laughs> do that a lot yeah yeah that's true that is true but that yeah so is. oh sorry i i will say that the makeup for clint eastwood uh clint eastwood's face well he was burning in the sun was pretty bad when you watch it on ultra hd blu-ray 
you start to see like where everything was plastered on his face. Uh, and it was quite obvious. Something I didn't notice when I was watching the standard version. Yeah. So anyway, that's all yeah. I have. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the, the, the music is very strong and it's, uh, it's one of these, and like oftentimes during the movie, I found myself I was like, Oh, this is where this is from. Okay. Oh, interesting. So like I said, ecstasy of gold, um, I think intro music for Metallica forever. Like really? The, yeah, that, that's their, like when you go see the live show, that's their opening, like intro music. Interesting. And uh, just kind of seeing where it happens in a movie, it's like, oh yeah, of course, this makes perfect sense. Mm. The ecstasy of gold, right? And it, But it's so good. It's so it good. And so to me, the, the music is the star of the show. And the rest is it's fine. It's good looking. It's decent. It's entertaining. It's very long. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think that I've uh, I've waxed I've waxed uh, um, lyrical about this movie. Uh, so you know, all tribute goes to what's the name of the musical director, Emerio Maricone yeah. or something like that. Yeah, Ennio Maricone. Okay, Ennio Maricone. Uh, all kudos goes to him. I guess we all we both agree that the music was superb on this. Yep. Cool. Um, Raji, where can people find us? Uh, you can find us on Instagram, um, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Movie Mistrial. And you can always in, uh, email us at contact at moviemistrial.com. All right. Well, looking forward to reviewing the next film. Right. Which is going to be The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship? I believe so. The, the Fellowship, Fellowship of, of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. yeah. So... We'll see you in uh we'll see you in the in the next in the next few weeks. Yep. Sounds good. Take right. it easy. Bye. Bye.